Welcome to episode one of Bears, the Bar and Beyond. In this first episode, we'll be looking at things that in particular, freshmen and sophomore students need to be thinking about. But this episode is still um, beneficial and indeed required listening for all of our upperclassmen as well. So the first place we want to, I guess, kick off is to talk a little bit about what the pre-law program at Baylor actually is. Now, it is not what's called a track. And a track is really just a set list of courses that you need to take within a particular major in order to graduate with a pre-law track. And at Baylor, that includes philosophy, political science, great texts, great texts, and economics. But remember, the track does not give you any advantage whatsoever when it comes to actually getting in to law school. Law schools will be far more focused on the grades that you receive rather than the choice of major. So that's a pre-law track that is separate to the pre-law program. The pre-law program is available to students irrespective of their major. I'll say that again, irrespective of their major. A lot of people think that if they want to go to law school, they have to study political science and that's just not the case. In fact, every year I'll have at least two to three students from dance, theater or musical performance who ultimately decide they want to go to law school. So pre-law as a program does not require you to take a particular major and it has no required courses. And that's because the American Bar Association has told us that apart from your grades and your law school admissions test result, that the law schools will be looking to see whether you've developed the skills that lend themselves to doing well at law school. Things like reading well, writing well, critical thinking, editing, research, some demonstrated interest and background in the law, the ability to work well with others and to collaborate. There are all skills that can be developed in a number of disciplines. And so the pre-law program consists of two designations. So I guess tags that follow you wherever you are in the university. Now this pre-law program consists in fact of two designations, pre-law and pre-law interest. Anyone can add the pre-law designation um, in the first 24 credit hours of Baylor. So basically the first year. Or if you've been here for more than 24 credit hours and you're considering adding the designation, you can do so. But there's some criteria. If you add the designation in the first year that you're at Baylor, so during the completion of those first 24 credit hours, you can add the pre-law designation with no requirements. If, however, you are trying to add the designation or you're trying to retain the designation beyond 24 credit hours, you must have a cumulative GPA of no less than 3.2. If you don't have that minimum GPA, you will drop down to pre-law interest. Now, practically speaking, there is no difference between the two. Both designations get the same access to advising, to application assistance, uh, to the same emails, the podcasts, same webinars, all of the same resources. But the reason we have this distinction is because we want it to be an early warning system for you. Now, if you drop below a 3.2, it does not mean that law school is off the table. There are lots of things that you can do to turn things around, but the reality is a 3.2 is not a competitive GPA when we look at law schools across the country. 
And so the reason we have that requirement is so that you can be aware of the fact that where you presently are is not where you need to be. And then you can reach out to us here at the pre-law office and we can get you connected with the academic resources you might need in order to be able to turn things around. Uh, again, no distinction between the two. The reason we have it, however, is so that we hold you to that very minimal standard of at least a 3.2. So I mentioned earlier that the pre-law program consists of designations that can attach to you wherever you are, whatever your major is. Uh, but that brings us to the point of saying, well, what should you study? If there is no set major, what do you need to pursue? Well, my advice is that students choose a major based on what they're interested in and on what suits their skills and their aptitude. So interest and aptitude should drive your choice of major. Um, if you are interested in and good at history, then by all means, go and study history. But if you're interested in Latin, but you know languages are a struggle, then perhaps that's not an area for you to focus on interest and aptitude. Now the delicate balance is obviously you want to push yourself. You want to challenge yourself so that you're getting better. But I do want you to be sure that when you choose a major, you have some confidence in the ability that even though you might be challenged, you are interested in the area of study and it does suit your skill set. Uh, students go to law school with all kinds of majors, not just political science, but history, uh, economics, uh, biology, business, chemistry. And as I said, I always have at least two or three students who are either dance, uh, theatre or musical performance. So remember, we want to be developing a skill set. We want to be doing academically and we want to choose a major that is interesting to us and suits our aptitude. Now, however, there are no required courses, but there are some courses that we strongly urge all of our pre-law students to complete. And they are primarily... Philosophy 1306 and Philosophy 1307. Um, and we suggest that students complete these two courses before the end of sophomore year. Now, these, these are logic courses. And logic is a significant component of the law school admissions test. Now, you really do not need to even begin to think about the LSAT until you're in your junior year. And you only then need to worry about it if you're planning on going to law school straight away. But by getting those two courses completed and the order in which you complete them doesn't matter. You can go 1307 and then 1306 and um, alternatively 1306 to 1307. But the reason we want you to get these courses done before the end of sophomore year is so that if you do well, you know that you have a good foundation to build upon when you begin to prepare for the LSAT potentially in your spring semester of junior year. If, on the other hand, you don't do as well as you had hoped, then you have the benefit of time so that if logic doesn't come to you naturally, you've got time to do some remedial study before you actually jump into the LSAT itself. Let's talk about student organizations. Um, there are two primary ones at Baylor. There are other law-related um, uh, student organizations like the Baylor Intellectual Property Organization. But the two primary ones are the Baylor Mock Trial Team and the Pre-Law Society. And I say they're the primary ones because they're general in terms of their subject area. Um, the Pre-Law Society is a great way for you to get connected with fellow pre-law interested students 
across the university, across all four years, and they bring law schools, lawyers, um, and LSAT test prep companies to campus so that you can get great information and professional development. But it's also a really good source of community. Every pre-law student should be a member of the pre-law society, not only because it helps you further explore and understand the profession, but from a resume perspective, it helps establish a history of you actually being interested in a legal career. The Baylor Mock trial team is also a great organization for students to consider joining, uh, especially if you have an interest in being exposed to what it's like to be an advocate. So arguing for your clients in court. It's also a great community. You're going to find people in a number of academic disciplines across all four years. Um, and it's a great way for you to get some uh, exposure to advocacy and to develop your verbal communication skills. Uh, you can also go and check out later episodes of the podcast where we featured both of these organizations. And it's a great way for you to find out more about the profession. Okay. So we've talked about what the designation is. We've talked about what to study and how to choose your major. We've talked briefly about some of the student organizations that are there. I'd like to now bring us to a discussion of the four things that uh, freshmen and sophomore students in particular, but also all students uh, need to be doing. Um, and especially uh, freshmen and sophomores, when you don't have the pressure of the LSAT and the law school application process, you especially need to be focusing on these four things. They are grades, your resume, your relationship with your professors and informational interviews. Let's talk about grades. As I said before to you, the law schools are not concerned with your major. They are concerned with the skills that you've developed within that major, but they're going to have a primary focus on your cumulative GPA and your law school admissions test score. Now, as a freshman, as a sophomore, and even as a first semester junior, you're not going to be thinking about the LSAT, nor should you. Instead, I want you to focus on doing well academically. It's so much easier for you to build a strong GPA and to protect it than it is to play catch up. Grades matter. They are a historical representation of your ability as a student. So they need to be taken seriously. Equally, if the first year does not go so well, then by figuring that out in the first year, you then have time to correct and to establish a sustained upward trend in your grades. Um, if you know, for example, that you're going to have some courses that are particularly difficult, so let's say you don't have a natural inclination to math or to languages, then it's probably a good idea to try and get those courses done as early as possible so we can get them out, out of the way and begin that sustained upward trend that we talked about. So number one consideration for all students, but especially in the first two years, is set yourself on a path to academic success. Get connected with resources. Focus on studying for at least two hours for every one hour of study time uh, and develop some of those skills like time management so that you can ensure you are dedicating enough time to your studies and that you can then reap the results of strong academic performance. The second thing we need to be doing is we need to be working on our resume. Now, a resume that's compelling takes time to build. So that means as a freshman, 
you need to get involved in some student organizations and activities. Now that doesn't mean you have to become the president of seven organizations by the end of your freshman year, but it does mean that you should try a bunch of things, see what organizations are out there and late night is a great way for you to do that. Um, but find, find some organizations, try them out, spend a year committing some time and then look to commit to a small number, but to commit in a meaningful way for sophomore year onwards. That helps to build a resume. Think about what you're going to be doing in the summer now so that you can start to apply for those internships that are interesting to you. Look for opportunities to get some exposure to the workforce so that you can begin to build that resume and even working uh, in a part-time job is a great way to start building that resume. The third thing I want all of our students to be focused on, but especially those in their first two years so that those uh, students have the benefit of time is to build relationships with your professors. Okay. You need to build relationships with your professors. And the reason for that is twofold. If you go through college and you don't have meaningful relationships with at least two to three of your professors, I think you've missed a huge opportunity. People teach at universities because they're experts in their field and they like to teach. They like to share their knowledge and shape the students that are in their class. And if you skate through college and you don't build those relationships, then you've missed a wonderful opportunity. The other reason is a little bit more self-serving and that is letters of recommendation. If you're applying for a job after college, you're going to need some referees or references. If you are applying to law school or grad school, the chances are you're going to require letters of recommendation. And if you're applying to law school straight out of college, then there's an expectation that those letters will come from professors and those professors need to be able to say something more than you are a nice student having class and you received an A. They need to be able to make comments about your suitability and ability as a student. How do you stack up against your peers? What are some examples of how you've demonstrated outstanding academic ability and aptitude for graduate study? Now, a professor cannot write that letter if they don't know you. So it's very important in these first two years, you really make an effort to get to know your professors. If you take a professor for a course and you do exceedingly well, but you don't have an opportunity to take that professor again, don't ignore them. Maintain that relationship, pop in every now and then to their office hours. If you find an article that is in their area of study and you think it's quite interesting or you think it might raise a point that you agree or disagree with, why not send it to the professor and then also say, hey, look, can I drop by your office hours and discuss this article? So that every time you have an interaction, you're not only building um, a professional relationship, but you're also giving them an opportunity to observe your brain at work so that when they do ultimately write that letter of recommendation that you're going to need for law school, grad school, potentially the workforce, they have some meaningful things to say. Now, so that's grades, building a resume, building relationships with your professors. The fourth thing every single student needs to be doing between now and the day they graduate law school is informational interviews. These are the backbone of career exploration and of networking, okay? It is crucial that you begin to do this now. 
even if it feels uncomfortable and a little daunting, informational interviews are the greatest way for you to find out the reality of a profession. And we're going to talk about informational interviews in the context of law, but it really doesn't matter what the career is. If you have an interest in being a CEO, if you have an interest in being um, a financial analyst, if you have interest in being a doctor or a pharmacist or an intelligence analyst, you need to find people who have done or are doing that work and find out about their experience. So in the context of pre-law students, really what that means is you have to get a LinkedIn account. It is an incredibly powerful tool and it's this tool that every single pre-law student should have. And it's one way, it's not the only way, but it's one way to locate people who are practicing law and who are doing so in different areas of the country, in different areas of the law, and who in many cases have some kind of connection with you. For example, perhaps they went to Baylor at some point during their educational experience, which in turn makes them much more likely to talk to you. So how do we do an informational interview? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to figure out what it is we actually want to find out. And so we need to sit down and we need to come up with a bunch of questions that help us walk away with more information about a particular job or profession. You want to ask questions that will elicit positive responses. For example, what did you enjoy about your first few years of practice? What do you enjoy about your current role? What do you enjoy about this practice area? Uh, tell me about a case or a situation that was professionally rewarding. But you also need to ask difficult questions like how many hours a week do you work? What do you find most frustrating about your role? Knowing what you know now, would you do it all again? And you want these questions to be even. You want these questions to elicit the kind of information that helps you explore the legal profession. But you also want to ask everybody the same questions. And it's it's important that you spend a good amount of time figuring out what these questions are going to be. And the idea is that by asking everybody the same questions, you can then uh, collect data and you can start to look for what are the trends that are common to people who are happy in their job and enjoy practicing law? What are the common denominators in the folks who maybe don't hate what they do, but don't really love it either? And then thirdly, and you will talk to these folks, who's unhappy? And what are the common decisions or the common factors that you see in their interviews? Perhaps they paid too much for law school. Perhaps they went to law school because they didn't really know what to do next and they thought it sounded prestigious. Uh, perhaps they graduated with an oppressive level of debt and as a result haven't felt the freedom to pursue the kinds of jobs that they went to law school to pursue. You won't know any of that unless you do these interviews. Now, LinkedIn is a great tool for you to locate people who are interesting to you, who are doing the kinds of things that you'd be interested in, but it's not the only way. There are a ton of websites out there where you can search for attorneys based on their practice area. And once you've got those questions set, you then want to, you want to sit down and do a little bit of research. It doesn't have to be seven hours, but 20 minutes uh, is ample time for you to find out a lot about a person and to adjust the interview accordingly. So if you know, for example, that this person went um, to prestigious university school of law, then you're not going to ask them where they went to law school, but you could instead adapt a question and say, well, I know you went to prestigious university. Uh, what was that experience like? So you're asking the question in such a way that you're still getting a good answer, 
but you're also telegraphing to that person that you know who they are and you've done some specific research and can pay huge dividends down the road. Uh, I would also encourage you to start to interview people who aren't in your geographic area and who aren't in the state of Texas. Baylor's obviously in Waco, Texas. Uh, we want to start outside that state and we want to start outside the home state that you're coming from. And the reason is this, those first few interviews are unlikely to be your best. You're likely to be a little nervous. Your questions might need a little um, adjustment as you start to actually do them for real. Uh, and those first few interviews, you don't, you may not be at your best and that's fine. That's a normal part of the experience. But what I want is if you have never been to Alaska or you've never been to Utah and you have no intention of practicing in those states, then start calling attorneys in those states because if it goes well, then you've had a, you've had a positive interaction and you've got useful information. But if it doesn't go well or it's a little clumsy, you're not going to interact with that lawyer again. It's highly unlikely. You're not planning to go and practice there. So that doesn't have any implication. So start in states and jurisdictions where you're unlikely to be in the future. And then as you get more proficient and more confident, start to then focus on lawyers in Texas because you may actually have an opportunity that comes about um, in Texas as a result of that. If you are from California and that's where you go home for your summers, then once you start to get proficient, call people in your home state and in your home city so that there is a potential for those interviews to maybe turn into an opportunity. Now, one question every single interview should include is simply, what advice would you have for someone like me who wants to get experience? Now, it can be difficult for undergraduates to get work experience in law firms in particular, because a lot of the time you are competing with, with law students. But by asking for advice, you are asking for something that's free, that doesn't cost uh, the interviewee anything, but it also opens up the door for them to make you um, an expression of interest or to open an opportunity for you. So you might have a really good conversation, ask this question, and the interviewee might say, well, you know what, I don't have anything right now, but I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Why don't you send me your resume and I'll let you know if I hear of anything. And that doesn't happen all of the time, but it happens often enough that it really is worthwhile asking that question in each and every interview that you do. Um, now, there's a couple of things on top of that, very small but very important things I want all of our listeners to be conscious of. You do need a LinkedIn account. You do need a LinkedIn account because it's a great way for you to build a professional reputation but also a professional network. Um, there are some great learning resources on LinkedIn uh, and especially for those folks as you get towards the end of your college career, there's some great job searching tools there. So create a LinkedIn account, get a professional photo or a nice kind of professional looking photo done uh, for your account. Interact with the Career Services Office. They're a fantastic resource for you to get um, access to perhaps the clothes that you might need for a nice um, business photograph. They also have workshops on LinkedIn and opportunities throughout the year for you to have a professional photo taken. Follow the pre-law program on Instagram. It's at pre-law Baylor. Um, that is going to be our primary social media source. There is a Facebook 
page, but Instagram is going to be where most of that material comes out. So do uh, do follow at prelawbaylor on, on Instagram. Take the time to carefully read the weekly email updates that come out to your Baylor email. Um, just remember that there's going to be a lot of important communication that comes to you via your Baylor email, and it's crucially important that you that you do check that at least daily. But in particular, take the time to listen uh, to read through, sorry, uh, each of the weekly updates because it contains a lot of information about resources, guest speakers, webinars, scholarships. Uh, and opportunities for folks interested not only in in law, but also in national security and intelligence, which is, of course, another career path that you come to the pre-law office to discuss, if that's something that's interesting to you. The other thing is hit subscribe. Listen to each of the podcasts um, as they come out uh, and, and really just take the time to find out about different practice areas by subscribing and listening to each of the episodes of the podcast. If you have more questions, if you would like to be advised, um, or if you'd like a particular uh, practice area or a particular topic covered in a podcast, please reach out to prelaw at baylor.edu. Welcome to the pre-law program. If you have any questions, please do reach out. Uh, And in the meantime, seek and best.